Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And my friends, I was born and raised in the city, and I do not have a rural bone in my body. Therefore, I know very little about life on a farm or life in the country, period. But I did marry into country, and as the years have gone by and many trips down home have been made, there are a few things that I have come to learn. First and foremost, watch where you step on the farm. And secondly, although I have not personally had this experience, if you tangle with the skunk, you're going to lose. Even if you have a car, you're going to pay the price for running into a skunk. I haven't personally had that experience, but I sure have whiffed the evidence of someone who did. The only wise way to handle such a confrontation is to make a hasty retreat. It just doesn't do any good to tangle with the skunk. The only safe course, the only sensible course, is flight. Get out of there. And those who don't learn that simple truth are going to pay the price for their ignorance. In much the same way, God has taught us to flee from certain things. Even though we are exhorted to fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, there are still times when flight is the only or the best path to victory. Reason and wisdom must sometimes overrule valor, and certainly courage must be tempered with judicious discernment. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and read verses 10 through the first part of verse 14. Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore. We are to be prepared to fight against Satan, and we are supplied with all of the necessary armor for that battle. We are told in James chapter 4 and verse 7, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We are expected to be strong in the Lord and to stand up to Satan and those who work for him and do battle. But we must be wise and sensible enough to recognize that sometimes victory is gained by flight and not by direct engagement. God recognizes this, and it is interesting to learn when we need to make a stand and fight and when we need to flee. Understand that fleeing does not come about from cowardice, but from wisdom. And it's just a different way of fighting. Let's go to the scriptures and see what the Lord has told us about this. We'll look first at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. 
Paul wrote to Timothy these words, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee also youthful lust. That's what Paul told Timothy to do. In the book of 1 John, specifically chapter 2 and verse 16, we are told that the lust of the flesh is not of the Father. These are the kinds of things that are opposed to godliness and will sap the spiritual vitality of any Christian. Now think about this. Here was young Timothy, undoubtedly a godly man, but he was warned to take all possible precautions in guarding against youthful lust. Instead of trying to stand up to the temptation, he is told that the best way to fight is to flee. Get out of there. Don't try to reason with lust. Don't try to see how close we can get without falling. The person who subjects himself or herself to lustful temptations will surely, sooner or later, be overcome. God says that the wise course is to flee, to get out of there. We see this in principle and practice and the proof that it can be done in the life of Joseph, another young man. He had been sold into slavery by his brothers, taken to a foreign land, Egypt. He ended up a slave in the service of Potiphar, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. Because God was with Joseph, it did not take very long before he rose to a position of great responsibility within Potiphar's house. But then trouble came. Looking at Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 through 9, we find, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph hoped that that would take care of the problem, but it didn't. She kept coming back, making the same proposition. In fact, the Bible calls it day by day. Finally, we arrive at verses 11 and 12. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men in the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. This wasn't a time to stand and argue. It was a time to run. And he did. He fled and he went outside. He showed much greater wisdom in this than in trying to overcome the temptation in the bedroom of this woman. These temptations are not peculiar to young people. Those who are older can find themselves in the same type of situations at work, in social circles, lots of places. And the best advice in such circumstances is always to get out, to run. God recognizes that young people may have a particular problem with some of this, and he encourages us and tells us how to deal with it. Practically speaking, young people, don't put yourselves in situations where things can get out of hand. Don't start something that you have no right to finish. It is a foolish person indeed who says, I'm strong enough to resist. It is a foolish person who says, I'll go just so far and then stop. It doesn't always work that way. Don't put yourself in that position. Should you find yourself in such a position, flee, get out 
That is why God warned, flee also youthful lust. We'll go now to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and look at verses 6 through 11. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. The Bible says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Timothy is being exalted, and so are we, to flee from the love of money and all that goes with it. Not only was Timothy told to flee, he was also given direction about what course to take as he fled. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. This warning to flee from materialism, a real threat to our souls, is so needed today. We all have so much, and we all want so much, that the temptation is great to take all that we do have for granted, give ourselves the credit, and forget the one from whom all good and perfect gifts come, and to use our material prosperity for our own selfish purposes only. It doesn't always have to be a question of more. Remember the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21? He had so much, more than he could ever use, and he thought about accumulating more and more. He was wealthy way beyond his needs, a tremendous success from a material standpoint. Yet God said in verse 20, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? I have seen material things and the desire for more keep Christians from being the kind of parents they should be, from being the kind of husbands and wives they should be, from being the kind of Christian they should be. A rich young ruler once asked Jesus this question in Matthew 19 and verse 16. He asked, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Skipping down to verses 21 and 22, notice this portion of the Lord's answer and the young man's response. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The possessions were not the problem. But that his possessions were where his heart and affections were, that was the problem. It is so easy to get caught up in that way of thinking. And when the temptation to think like that comes, it's time to flee in the sense of changing those priorities. There is yet something else that God tells us to flee. Sitting in the midst of Greek culture and a Roman commercial trade route, Corinth was a uniquely situated city. Immorality was great there, and it is apparent that the Lord's church in that city was having a difficult time keeping worldliness out of the lives of the brethren. So, among other things, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 
We too must flee from idolatry because God's word is filled with examples of people, including right there in 1 Corinthians 10, who were engulfed by it to their ruin and shame if the situation wasn't fixed. It is possible that we could be thinking that idolatry is not much of a problem for us today. I mean, after all, we live in the 21st century in the United States of America. But my friends, the warnings are there for a reason. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Israel had considerable trouble with idols, and not all of them were made out of wood or gold or silver or marble or what have you. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14 and look at verses 3 through 4. Ezekiel chapter 14 verses 3 and 4. We find, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. The truth is, an idol is anything that comes between God and a man, anything that a man puts before and ahead of God. A job can be an idol in the heart if it takes precedence over the worship and the work of God. Material possessions can be an idol in the heart when we let them interfere with God. My in-laws used to live relatively close to Lake Cumberland, and during the summer months, those coming from the north to the lake went very close to their home. The folks in Mount Vernon and Broadhead referred to it as the Ohio Navy or the Northern Armada, because all those people coming down with their boats for the weekend on the water. For most of them, as they were out there floating on the lake, the worship of God on the first day of the week was the furthest thing from their mind. Ironically, even as they were enjoying the beauty of nature and the bounty that God had bestowed upon them. My friends, sports of all kind can become an idol in the heart when it takes first place ahead of worship or the study of God's word. Even family can be an idol in the heart. Anytime anything begins to take over first place in our hearts instead of God, it is an idol in the heart. Many people who would never think of bowing before a graven image are still guilty of idolatry. We must flee from idols. Now we've already mentioned that Corinth was an immoral city. Consequently, Paul warned the brethren in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 15 through 20 the following. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul warned, flee fornication or immorality. This temptation is all around, and it is not something that Christians become immune to simply because they are Christians. It comes in many forms. Elders and preachers have fallen as they have tried to help a sister who was having difficulties. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ have fallen to temptations at work or with individuals in social circles. Brothers and sisters have even fallen through temptations provided by other brothers and sisters in Christ. God doesn't expect, nor does he want us, to stay in the place of the temptation and fight it out. He warns us to flee. Flight is nearly always the best defense against the sin of immorality. Such cannot be committed if I am not there. Get out of the situation. Get away from the temptation. Do not be around those who cause us to be tempted. Get out of there. God doesn't want us to prove our strength against this sin by seeing how much temptation we can stand. You can't argue with a skunk. Flee. Finally, let's look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7 and John the Baptist. There we find, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There is wrath to come. God's people throughout the Bible are given many warnings about what is coming. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, the following. He said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Judgment is coming. It is certain for all, and the basis for it is clearly set forth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. No one is going to escape this judgment. All will be there. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Jesus spoke of the righteous and the wicked being separated and taught that this separation would be permanent and eternal when he said, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. There is a time to stand and fight, and there is also a time to flee. It is senseless and foolish to try to win the fight against Satan on his terms and on his turf, so to speak. We can't win if we tangle with a skunk. Stand with the Lord, resist the devil on God's battlefield, and the Lord will make you victorious. If you have not obeyed the gospel, you are warned to flee from the wrath to come. Flee from sin, flee from temptation, flee from the wrath to come. Do it all by fleeing to Jesus, and he will help you. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Repent of your sins. Be willing to confess your faith in Jesus as the Lord and then be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. Things to think about. Flee from temptation. Thanks for listening.